Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with my good, good friend, John Russell, of the band Gnawing, and previously of my band, All Right. We go way, way back, so it's awesome and a treat to have such a good friend on the pod. We talk today about the Stooges' 1970 classic, Funhouse. We talk about the legacy of Iggy Pop, growing up classic rock freaks in the same small beach town. And, you know, do real dads even like the Stooges? No one released a 7-inch last year on Refresh Records and have their debut LP coming out later this year. So TBA on that. Also, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash spinningoutpod and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Alright, on to this week's episode. Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. Hi, John. How's it been going? been good it's been uh you know getting back into the swing of things after the uh holidays and regular life continue regular covid life continues mm, uh what you been up to lately um i have been starting to do some of the uh we've been starting to kind of finish up the lp stuff with artwork and start talking about what we want to do as far as press and hopefully shows will be back by the time it eventually comes out so we're kind of having an idea of what to do as far as touring and stuff and i bought a van mm. well we're not talking about your band knowing today <laughs> we are instead talking about funhouse by the stooges an album that came out in 1970 and i already hate the way that i say the stooges um <laughs> like it's a ch instead of a g stooges stooges um <laughs> all right so john we have been friends for a long time. Some yeah. would say probably too long. <laughs> and uh, when was the first time you heard this record? The first time that I heard Fun House was in 10th grade. And I graduated high school in 2009. So that would have been 2000. I think I was like 15, about to turn 16. If that math adds up right, I think so. Yeah, um, 10th grade. But, I, was in, I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like I can't really think of a time that there, there are one of those bands where it almost just seems like the songs have been written forever. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, it's just you don't really have to be you almost like know it without uh, you at least like know the hits of the Stooges without, you know, having to realize it. But kind of digging more into this record it kind of I feel like I didn't remember it correctly I I feel like a lot of times when I think I'm thinking of them 
I'm probably thinking of Raw Power more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the album that I tend to go to on a regular basis. Um, yeah. But I guess since this is your favorite record, <laughs> this is the one that you go to on a regular basis. Yeah, I feel like it is a bit of a dark horse. And I think that's probably, I mean, there are several reasons why it's my favorite Stooges record, um, but it's definitely, I think, informed by the fact that it is sort of underappreciated in my eyes. Um, the first one has all the hits, you know, the first one has Wanna Be Your Dog and No Fun in 1969 and Little Doll and all of that. And so that one has like all the recognizable kind of era appropriate fuzzy pop songs that could have very easily been like a, a Rolling Stones B-side or something in that era, you know, a little, a little more on the edges than Stones were, but that kind of fit the the vibe. And then Raw Power, of course, you know, is like legendary at this point. Like it's, that's like one of the tenements of punk right there. So of course everybody loves that one, but. Yeah, I remember um, this is kind of local chat for a second, but uh, (laughs) there was a cover show in Charlotte, North Carolina where you used to live and I still live. Um, And Paint Fumes did a Stooges cover and that is very on brand for them mm-hmm, and they did an amazing job but I remember one thing thinking about like the songs was like wow these songs just go on forever like are they like kind of jamming on these songs like longer but when I listen to this record I'm like no nah, they did this like <laughs> they played it like fun. note for note <laughs> yeah it's like you know as as much as like anything kind of exists kind of note for note with these yeah. type of songs like yeah like i mean you're right with saying like the first the first record definitely has like a rolling stone more of a rolling stones feel for the songs and for kind of like how the songs are structured and how they end Mm -hmm. at a point like Mm -hmm. uh these songs almost seem like someone probably just kind of like cut the tape at a certain point like somewhere in a different multiverse they are still playing these songs to this day yeah like you know they are still jamming on down on the street you know now and you know (laughs) so so it just has that feel um i guess to you you know actually i I feel like i want to get to that point i i don't want to like start at a point where i'm like telling you what i would do differently uh, (laughs) but um it's just like it's just baffling kind of like looking at it now like getting to a point where you're thinking about the record as like the actual product that it is it's just so odd to me that this band ever existed sure yeah like it just shouldn't be like it's yeah like they're just weirdos like it's it's just like like when you look at a lot of bands it's like there's people then they all kind of seem like celebrities mm-hmm. but outside of like Iggy Pop like they're just yeah michigan rednecks you know, yeah like, oh yeah. yeah yeah they're they're like the they're to me they are like the the same reason why i love like credence clearwater revival where they're like you know i think a little bit of credence is a put on that they're like working boys i think that they actually were kind of a little extending that more more than they actually really were but to like to me the stooges are just credence clearwater or like mc5 but like you you or I could have 
written those riffs or played those songs you know like there it's it truly is just like everyone's music to me because they're just like the simplicity is almost like it's almost difficult to write a, a riff as simple as down on the street which has two chords like it's almost I can't I don't think I could do that if I sat down and tried to do it you know and make it as powerful as that song is yeah it's like when listening to like even I think like TVI you could really say the same thing about like every song on this record <laughs> like just like when like a like a bass part starts and then you're like that is holding the whole song together my point being like to feel like so little needs to actually happen to make a song work like really makes you think differently about songs yeah um, you know I think sometimes like we we all tend to kind of like overdo it <laughs> You know, and I think that's like, like when you, there's so little in a good way happening on some of these songs. And it's not like they're not like, you know, having freak out like sax parts. I mean, that is a little harder, <laughs> but it's like the glue that kind of makes a song sometimes like just the bass and the drum, you know, it, it's, it's so little has to happen. Like when you think about like, even like the difference between this and then like, kind of, I guess like where like Foo Fighters are now mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's like there's like 37,000 layers yeah and this is all the layers are there and you can hear every single layer right right yeah. like yeah. and I mean Credence really has like the same kind of feeling too that it's like you don't need that much to do a song but if I'm ever in that position where I only have like three things going on my inclination too is just to add more things to to kind of cover that up because it's scary (laughs) yeah definitely definitely i would never some of the some of the like bare bones parts of some of these songs especially like dirt to me dirt is dirt is my favorite stooges song and and probably one of my favorite songs just because of the the composition and i think it's really like kind of the the key point from this record too um because it's such a it's such an exercise in in minimalism and like dynamics and like like Ron Ashton barely I mean he obviously plays on that song he does there's an incredible guitar solo that happens in the near the end of the song but during the actual song part like during the parts where Iggy is singing and you know what's supposed to be a verse or what's supposed to be a chorus he's barely he's just like tiny strumming these little chords like he's barely there but it's so heavy and it's heavier than anything I could think up or write because the drums and the bass are just holding that like insanely repetitive groove. And it's, I don't know, it's just a masterpiece to me because I, it's just unattainable to me in, in like a level of, of minimalism that I would just be too afraid to, to even try. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely don't think I've ever been like this confident, but like bands like this kind of well when I when I felt like when I really got into like playing bass um it felt like I knew I wasn't gonna be a, a virtuoso uh, at it <laughs> so it was uh, like the idea that I strove for was just like if you almost play every note that you can with as much confidence as you can mm-hmm. then that's almost all you need yeah and definitely. you know and that's like it just feels like you can't you can't break that rhythm section but yeah it's just played with like the utmost confidence or maybe that's just in how like they were able to produce the record which is also 
an interesting tidbit. No, definitely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think that, you know, going back to dirt again, to my knowledge, I would have to listen to it again to make sure that I'm not lying, but I'm pretty sure that Dave Alexander plays the same that like doom, 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 doom. he just plays that the entire song. Like no matter what parts of the song are changing, he just runs that, that bass part the entire song. And that's like a seven minute song. So like, you know, he just, he knew that that was the little, the little riff that fit there and just stuck to it. And it's so, it works so well. Uh, I guess, do you want me to get into the part where I, I talk shit on this record? <laughs> yeah, I want to hear your hot takes. All right. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I totally feel like a lot of times, like, some songs tend to have too many parts. Like, mm-hmm. people get, people sometimes get afraid of kind of being labeled as simple. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think it's like, simple isn't bad. Right. You know, but but I'm also talking about a simple that I think sometimes like two parts of a song is enough. You know, yeah. it can be enough if the song is just good enough. Yeah. You know, like, but it did make it where kind of, and also I've listened to this probably like five or six times and on top of hearing it however many times throughout my life, um, that maybe a song like Dirt might need a second part. it's like you know i should maybe be a bridge yeah i can maybe take one part for however long and there's so many like good exceptions to that like i mean there's so many like lungfish songs that are basically Mm -hmm. built on one part right and that's great and there's so many stooges songs that work and i'm not saying it doesn't work i'm really just kind of playing a devil's advocate for the sake of the pod right sure um but there's times where i felt like the last lesson before we talked uh, today where I was kind of like reviewing it and I felt that I knew that essentially at 25% of the song I didn't necessarily need to listen to the other 75% because I already know what's going to happen mm, interesting. Yeah. and there are there are certain exceptions as as the record progresses but then we're really just talking about I'm missing out on a freak out part that is still essentially the same part over and over and over again right right so you know whatever it's not like uh you know if, if well they and barely any of them can listen to this podcast because they're all dead <laughs> but you know uh if iggy pop ever were to it's like iggy pop doesn't need me to say nice things about the stooges you know, he <laughs> yeah. is he is succeeded like yeah. i am a fan you're a fan and i wouldn't say that they need to do anything different but i i wonder that because i i started kind of thinking about the record like if you're trying to if you're trying to like get someone that's not a fan of the stooges into the stooges would this be the record that you would do it i think that's ultimately what i mean yeah i hear you no i i definitely don't think i would um this is like it's like if this is a video game and this is like stooges level hard yeah you know i don't yeah think this is the one this is should. this is not the one this is not like the the intro to it that that you want that gets you hooked and brings you back for more and i think that's really why i really love the the progression of the of the first three you know the the original three records because the first one is i mean there's still definitely some some gnarly uh repetition on the first one yeah. um but 
for the most part, at least compared to this one, the first one is very accessible. You know, I want to be your dog is like such a memorable moment from that that era and and from proto punk and classic rock, whatever you want to call it. Um, so for me, it's it makes so much sense to, especially in the in the time period that I was getting into the Stooges, which was like tenth grade. I was I was sort of intrigued by by punk, and I you know I was familiar with like the Ramones and like the very entry level stuff, but wasn't really making the jump yet from like being a full like classic rock like stoner kid with long hair into like a punk kid with like a leather jacket I would make that transition eventually but I think the Stooges for me bridged that gap because the the first record is is such a like classic 60s sounding record and then this record is to me I think that this record is essential for obviously for myself, but I think as a whole for music, this record is essential for making that transition from, you know, peace and love and, and 60s and flower power and, and the hippie movement and all of that stuff. And then like within a span of months, you have, you know, the, the Stones concert at Altamont and then Funhouse comes out and then it's like, oh shit, like this is not, this is not a sustainable movement. This is like the real bleakness of, of this actual like peace and love thing and it's it's just such a good bridge of like still having you know such a vintage sound to it but being I don't know sort of timeless and sort of modern where I think that you know the the self-title could be seen as sort of dated I don't see it as that way because I love that record but the first record could come off as dated to me yeah do you feel so we're were you a classic rock kid first and then into punk or did you do like a kind of back and forth? Um, I mean, when I first, I didn't really care about music for a, for a while. Uh, and so when I first got into it, I got into like MTV core. So I, I thought that like corn was really interesting because um, they had like really crazy videos and I liked like some 41 and stuff, but then I kind of fell off of that. And that was like, I was like middle school to, you know, elementary school to middle school, but I didn't really care enough to sustain it. And like, I, I didn't really buy, like I bought a couple of Sum 41 CDs and stuff, but I didn't like go to, I never went to Warped Tour. I didn't go to concerts of any of these bands. And then I just kind of stopped caring about music for a little bit. And then I got really heavy into, a friend of mine got me really heavy into like Jimi Hendrix and Cream and stuff. And so that's, I like went backwards and dug really hard into that and became so the first time that I got like really into music was classic rock because it wasn't on the radio do you think potentially if because I, I would say that uh maybe maybe if like your parents had allowed you to like buy jinkos uh <laughs> you might have just become like a new metal kid because you might have hit a wall that sort of like you couldn't like tie your identity based on like clothing to new metal because and I, I don't know maybe your parents were letting you buy corn t-shirts or jingles, no definitely not yeah those, those were pretty definitely expensive <laughs> those were super <laughs> expensive and yeah. I don't think that they I, I don't think that they like it, it wasn't even in my it's not like I was like asking for for a corn shirt for Christmas and they were like no that's vulgar like I, it wasn't even in my identity yet like it wasn't even something that I associated with my 
interests and stuff. Like it was just, I just heard it on the radio or I heard it on MTV or VH1 and was like, oh, mm, not to, mm, not to, you know, like cool, whatever. Like that was like cool to me, but I didn't like, I think had I wanted to, I think that they probably would have been freaked out, but they would have been supportive and been like, you can have, you know, whatever the, the Dillard's brand of Jinkos would have been. <laughs> they were like, yeah, you can have the Lee pipes. Yeah. But uh, Junkos. It wasn't Junkos. It wasn't really until I got into classic rock that I like started. And then at, at the same time, I started playing drums too. So then I really associated like my identity with being a musician, being someone that was into music, someone that cared about, you know, that's when I started getting like band t-shirts and bell bottoms and Converse and like growing my hair out because I wanted to be like, a hippie you know like I wanted to be of that time yeah I felt like when I was younger kind of being classic rock kid was a little easier because it wasn't so predicated on what you wore and yeah. the things you can you could wear um, like a pink Floyd shirt was a lot you know I could buy essentially three band shirts for yeah. not even the cost of Jinkos you know yeah, yeah. you know those like 10 shirts you know yeah they were uh, always on like the dollar rack at Walmart like the dark yeah. side of the moon shirt yeah like that or like Guns N' Roses shirt <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. everything when you're like the building your identity kind of <laughs> uh, thing was a lot cheaper in that respect and also like you could listen to that stuff for free yeah. like still to listen to corn on a regular basis um i felt I, I didn't have access to really like buying that yeah you know so i couldn't yeah. I, I didn't know where to listen to corn if i wanted to at that right. point right you know and so like but i also don't i don't know if that it was super easy to even like to go from like liking Jimi hendrix or like led zeppelin into the stooges because i don't feel like i ever heard the stooges on the radio except for maybe like a very late night rock block no know? but I don't, I don't even remember it then I don't either I, it definitely wasn't on the radio as I was looking up the the wikipedia for funhouse today just to like you know make sure I had my facts straight on stuff and I saw that down on the street was on one of the Tony Hawk games that I had and I don't remember like I'm sure that I heard it because I played the game but I don't remember being like oh that's a cool song you know like with like rage or you know afi or power man 5000 you know stuff that was on the soundtrack that i was like oh that's cool and would like write it down and go look it up on limewire and download that song i don't remember hearing the stooges and being like oh that's really sick i'm gonna write that down and remember that so yeah, yeah i wasn't I really ever exposed to it until i dug way deeper and started getting into like um, the Nuggets compilations and like the Sonics and 13-4 Elevators. When I started getting into like psychedelic rock and garage rock, I kept seeing like <clears throat> the Stooges and Iggy Pop being mentioned. And so then I was like, okay, like I should probably check this record out. And that's when I got the first Stooges record. I do think about like if I were playing Tony Hawk, I would actually have no qualms about this album like if you could play this whole album like kind of yeah. like thinking about being like <laughs> like 15 years old or whatever like zoning out like it's perfect for it like, would fit perfectly like, yeah like it's like the freak out so i can just skate around like the school you know mm -hmm. um you know yeah do it do a free skate free skate to fun house you're chilling 
yeah but i also <laughs> wonder like well since we also grew up in the same town uh and when we to north carolina like maybe it wasn't being curated at like our local record stores or whatnot yeah um well we wouldn't we wouldn't have any way of knowing because yeah at that at that age i wasn't really i mean by the time that i got into the stooges i was spending a lot of time at, at cd alley um but initially when i was first getting into like hendrix and, and cream and stuff the, the place that i bought cds from was barnes and noble like i wasn't going to record stores yet because this was before i had a car and my parents didn't know what cd alley was like they weren't going to go down to to front street and drop me off there yeah um so we i would just go or like best buy or barnes and noble or i don't even know if if target had cds at that time probably walmart you know yeah they're like kind of weird greatest hits of ccr and parliament funkadelic and curtis mayfield because i would just like and at that point when i got into classic rock my dad loves all of that stuff so he had a ton of we had like he gave me a bunch of Beatles tapes and his Dylan stuff. And then when we would go to those stores, he would be like, oh, you have to have Blonde and Blonde. You have to have this record, that record. And would, and would kind of set me up with, with recommendations. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I know my, my dad's more into like Jim Croce and like mm-hmm. Neil Young, uh, more so like CSNY Neil Young or, sure. you know, not like rock Neil Young. Yeah, uh, he yeah, likes yeah. like James Taylor and stuff like that. <laughs> so I know my my dad would never have been the person to be like, "Here's the Stooges," you know? Yeah, yeah. And oh, like I don't, dad, I don't assume like your dad would, or like even like most kind of normalish dads would like. And that's like a weird, weird thing where they fall. Like they're not particularly given to you. Like, like I feel like someone gave Ramones to. Like someone told yeah. me I needed to listen to her mouth. Yeah. Like no one did that with the Stooges. Like people do that with ACDC or Pink Floyd, but the Stooges aren't, I guess, viewed as like on that level. Yeah. And uh, I don't think a lot of people think of them as classic rock. And even when I listen to them now, it doesn't hit me the same way that listening to the Eagles or, uh, you know, CCR or journey or you know any any of those bands that show up on like you know your local classic rock hits like radio station the stooges doesn't land in that same way for me even though it came out in that same period of time you know this record's from 1970 but it just doesn't feel like a record from 1970 for me yeah it doesn't feel like the doors to me even though yeah, they right. were like playing they shows were contemporaries yeah. yeah 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 yeah, yeah there's crazy bills that like they played with cream and they played with like uh what's the band that um quicksilver messenger service like they played with all the woodstock bands because that was a year you know they were the self-titled record came out the same time at woodstock um so like they played with all those bands but i can't imagine going to see like the Grateful Dead and having the Stooges open and like Iggy tearing his chest open with a beer bottle and stuff. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's probably like kind of answers the question, like why it's not remembered in that kind of capacity, but because it's not remembered in that capacity, it also feel like, feels like it kind of misses the boat with being completely thrown in with punk stuff because it 
it isn't it's yeah. what informs it yeah. but it's it's not so it kind of gets lost somewhere in the middle yeah um you know and i, I wonder if it wasn't for like iggy pop kind of the celebrity in a, in a way like iggy pop's later career if stooges would be remembered in the same way at all yeah i mean they're probably not because there are so many bands like the stooges that you know kind of kind of in the same way that in the 90s every band every record label was looking for the next nirvana in the 60s labels you know like this came out on electra records like that's a massive label for the size of fan base that we're talking about the stooges had especially pre iggy pop being like iggy pop you know of, of his fame so i think that there are so many bands that probably got signed put out a record fell through the cracks and we haven't heard of them or we or you know people are trading them on some weird psych rock form and yeah. the stooges just happen to be kept relevant because Iggy Pop went on to to go ahead and you know to later be a bigger celebrity than he ever like, was when he was in the Stooges. Maybe they would have just been to the level of uh I don't know like Blue Cheer or like yeah. you know Vanilla or like Fudge. Leaf Hound or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Vanilla Fudge is a band, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm like that just sounds <laughs> like some shit I just made up. Um but but like that like it's just something that you're sort of like oh I think I kind of know that you know and then yeah. all those people end up like going you know to other bands you know where like yeah or like elf with ronnie james dio but it's like people only know of elf because of ronnie james dio so right right or like rainbow way. you know like yeah. any of the any of the pre-bands of, of people's bigger careers later on like the only reason that we know green river is because of pearl jam and mud honey you know like that record would have gotten lost in the cracks if if those that group didn't split up into two enormous bands afterwards yeah uh but it is also okay so what was their original run like i believe they broke up in 1974 originally yeah so the original run was the self-titled record and then funhouse and then they toured off of that and then Dave Alexander overdosed and died. The bassist died. And then I think... Uh, I don't he died wanna... in 75. 75, okay. Um, so basically, yeah, one after another. Yeah, um, So, but they, I think they had split even before that because yeah. Iggy wanted to do a solo record and was working on it with James Williamson who played guitar on Raw Power. And the people that they had filling out the rest of the band weren't really vibing and so then he called the ashton brothers again and that's why the ashtons are on raw power it wasn't supposed to be a stooges record it was supposed to just be his like debut iggy pop solo record yeah and um, i think when you in some respects i think when you listen to it you can kind of feel that because it doesn't feel like it kind of has the same exact drive yeah but definitely this record does <laughs> uh, you know uh but i mean this this record is kind of like a grail of what I feel like up until recently, I feel like this is how a lot of us kind of wish that we could go in the studio. So as much yeah. as it sounds like I'm like shit talking it, it's like you kind of want, it's like the idea was like you go into a studio and you almost like try and capture things as live as possible so you can kind of duplicate your live show. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't seem to be, maybe that's like us being 
and it's not like a good old days kind of thing or maybe it is uh <laughs> but it's like like i don't feel like that's the way people want to make records anymore and this is no. like a new realization but it's like i don't think anybody really wants to make records that way you know no yeah i mean it, it's it is the even even different so in the in the first record coming into funhouse like it's just the it's just a mess and it's such a perfect chaotic mess that it really worked out but but you're they're lucky if you listen to there's like the funhouse box set that has all of the takes of all of the songs that they did there are some that just fall apart like they just go off the rails and so they recorded like i think they i think it said that they recorded like 10 or 12 takes of each song and then just picked the best take of each song but they truly were just like doing it like they would do live like i think that's why the songs are so long too and some of them don't really have like like there's that really weird uh that like false ending of tbi mm-hmm. and then it comes back for like half of a verse and ron a- or sky ashton is just playing a snare like it's just the snare hit on the two and the four like it's so weird and then if you listen to other takes, they like don't do that. And sometimes they did do that. Like it, I feel like they were just probably under the influence of a lot of substances and just jamming like they would live. And that's kind of the snapshot that they wanted for Funhouse. And that, I mean, that's why I love it so much is because it's messy and it doesn't, you know, it's not quantized. It's not perfectly on the grid. It's not, it's nothing like modern records. And so it's, a good I always keep it in the back of my mind of like okay like you know if I want to double track a solo and they're not the exact same solo or it's not like a harmony of a solo I can do that because it sounds cool because it sounds cool when the Stooges did it on Funhouse or like yeah you know like the in like LA Blues and the weird like free jazz stuff that they got into like there's two drum tracks that are hard panned and they're like totally different drum track like it that's just stuff that doesn't happen on big records anymore uh, and hasn't been for, like you said, for probably, you know, from 1980 onwards, hasn't been happening like that. Yeah. So I and that's, I, that's and I, so cool I try and like, I think about it, it's a different kind of thing, but I feel like some people swear by like Steve Albini, but some, sometimes it's like, I feel like sometimes I live between like Steve Albini and Butch Vig, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, somewhere in the middle is almost like the perfect thing you know and because it's like there's some steve albini things that don't work as great and you could if i could find them that that probably exists with butch big you know there's so many bad examples of like funhouse funhouse is just like a perfect time that everything worked or at least the way that they released it worked yeah Um, you know so so it is like a hard thing to navigate and i think like kind of what i'm skirting around um, I think that's kind of come up a couple times on this podcast. So I guess I'll start making it like a reoccurring thing. <laughs> Where do you fall on the whole like three minute song debate? I think that I, I fall on the extremity of it, either going either way. Like I believe in, in the, in the hard extremity of either side of the spectrum. So I think that they should either be you should either be doing a three minute song or like a, you know, two and a half minute song or, that shit should be 15 minutes. Like it should, <laughs> if you're going to do a long song, just do a long song and make a seven minute version of dirt, you know, like go for it and then figure it out later or figure out while it's happening from the sound of the, the recordings. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough because 
I feel like I just love so many things that definitely go beyond three minutes. Like, you know, even just thinking about any of the uh, Neil Young Crazy Horse records, like, yeah, are definitely an exception. But on to, you know, I guess more punk or alt, I guess alt rock things like Dinosaur Jr. like totally breaks that mold, built yeah. still for sure. Yeah. Um, there's so many things, but it's like I've heard it so much recently. And I think like I even hear it from people that, you know, it's like, I know you like things that go against that, but it's, it's just, it's almost like so people say it without realizing what that would mean for most of the music that they like. Yeah. You know, and, and for it, most of the music that they write too, like people yeah. say that and then still put out five and a half minute songs. My, my thought is like, is that you shouldn't, you shouldn't like, if you're going to do like a five minute plus song, don't make it in the sense that you're just going back to the chorus a bunch of times. Like, it's yeah. like, it's gotta go, it's gotta, the intention is to go somewhere. And it's like now kind of outside my own body, like I probably failed in these counts, you know? So it's like, <laughs> I'm not saying like I'm above it, but you know, it's like injustice for all is an amazing record, but for example, injustice for all, it's like, you know, it keeps going back to the chorus, but the songs yeah. will still be like eight minutes, you know? <laughs> And it's like, like 15 choruses. Yeah. And it's like, you don't, you don't have to go back to the chorus, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think people think they want the three minute song because there are things called radio edits. And so people think, cause I remember, for example, like uh, the first time I heard don't fear the reaper when it wasn't on the radio. Yeah. And I didn't know what the fuck was happening. Like, yeah. I think it yeah. was the first time I downloaded it off. Cause uh <laughs> And you're and like, then, oh man, I got the wrong coffee. Yeah, and I was just like, what is this? Yeah. Like, because it always, it usually wouldn't go into like the jam, the kind of coda, I guess, of the song. Yeah. You know, of it. Yeah. You know? Or like, like Inagata Devita, like, you know, there's the single edit that's like two and a half minutes and cuts out all of the best part, which is the, you know, it's that song's like, what, 17 minutes or something? Like, yeah. And all of that stuff is the cool part. Like, I want to hear the really weird and like awkward drum solo. Like that's the cool stuff to me. We want all of Alice's restaurant, not just the single edit. <laughs> yeah. It was the whole restaurant. Yeah. Um, but I guess, all right. So thinking about, I guess when we, we were talking about James Williamson, I guess is mm -hmm. where we kind of shifted out. We don't, we went in our own yeah, uh, jam session. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but okay. So James Williamson from my notes joined in 1970. So essentially it seems like they got done recording Funhouse and then he joined. Yeah. And so I guess like to tour off of Funhouse. Yeah. But even when I think about like the idea of how people toured, uh, back in around this time, like mm -hmm. it always seemed like even more so in the punk but it was like they would drive somewhere and then spend two weeks there and then yeah do another show and then they kind of lived there for a tiny bit and yeah. you know like even with this type of touring there was a lot of that like do you have any feeling of what type of touring the stooges did during their original run um i when i when i leaned really hard into being a stooges fanatic i did a little bit of uh bootleg collecting um 
which is on my old computer that died. So I don't have any of the bootlegs anymore, RIP. But um, I did a little bit of bootleg collecting. So I sort of have a, a vague idea, especially of, of what the year looked like after the self-titled and before Funhouse, when they would sort of start to introduce some of the Funhouse songs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you're pretty spot on. It's like two weeks in New York City at Roseland Ballroom or whatever. And then like two weeks in Michigan and then like, you know, five days in Texas and then two weeks in San Francisco and like maybe a Sacramento date in there. Like it, it wasn't really what we think of touring when we think of like how many shows and how many states can we fit into 10 days, you know, yeah. like, and I think also they, you know, I think that it was just music was structured differently back then. Like that was their job, you know, like they weren't, they were getting paid huge advances from the labels and probably getting bigger guarantees than any of our bands will ever get, even at the level that they were at. So they were, you know, that was sustainable to, to do like a two week residency at a venue and not have to bounce from state to state to state and try and fill a bunch of dates before they had to go back to work. You know, that was yeah. work for them. I always think about even the idea of like a residency and how like dated that is like, you know, so every town now seems ha, tries to have like its own residency format, but essentially it's like, let's get locals to play on a, a day. That's not usually our strongest day. Mm-hmm. So they built it like that, but you had people just playing like three sets over a period of like two weeks and you were just the house band, Yeah, you know, and there's, there's so many things like, obviously we could explain, you know, they didn't have the internet. To, it's <laughs> like, I don't think people had as much entertainment and that was just what you had to do. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know, just kind of thinking about how odd of a concept that is in 2021 yeah it's it's definitely something that has sort of aged out you know and i like as as the shorter and shorter of our attention spans get because of you know the internet and social media and tiktok and stuff i think that that like i can't imagine i can't imagine seeing the stooges that many times in a row you know and they're one of my favorite bands but like (laughs) just by night three i'd be like cool they're playing down on the street again. Awesome. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. I don't even, yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned it that way. Cause I don't even, I can't even think of a situation where I would want yeah. that to go watch a band every night. Yeah. Uh, you know, like my most favorite band, like it just wouldn't happen. Like, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't exist. Um, but do, do you, I guess, do you know about like how they recorded? I guess we, we kind of touched on it, the idea that they just set up in a room and just kind of, they did the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So they, so the first couple takes, uh, they were set up like, you know, sort of close to how a band would set up nowadays. Like they were, they had muffling and they were in isolated spots and they weren't really like happy with the, they didn't feel like it carried the, the, ferocity that the live show does um so they took all that stuff down and set up like they would set up on stage like you know the amps were backline and drums in front of that and then they were all facing the same direction and Iggy recorded that's the that's my favorite part of that is that the vocal sound sounds like that because he's recording from a PA and they mic the speakers of the PA and that's why it gives it that I mean it is truly raw power to 
quote them later on, but like that, it just sounds so unhinged and so unlike production values of, of that time of, of modern time. Like it just is such a strange vocal sound and it's so cool because they were recording straight from, you know, the, the PA that the other, that like everyone was using as the monitors, like that's what they recorded from. Uh, something I'm thinking about, and it's probably is from a few years ago, but I guess like th- even thinking about like the scenes from, I guess probably not even much more than like five years ago with things like Milk Music and Destruction Unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think like that type of scene will come back? Because I, I feel like that let itself more, lent itself more to almost like just punks jamming on things. And I don't feel like that's like currently in, or maybe I'm just completely wrong. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that definitely was like a, that was a, that was a thing that happened uh, in like, you know, like 2009 and like 2010, like that, that was a huge thing. I feel like a lot of punks like had recently discovered probably like Funhouse and like Grateful Dead and stuff. Um, I feel like, I mean, it, everything is sort of a cycle in music and especially in like DIY and like punk music. I feel like this, the same key records keep getting rediscovered, which is kind of sick. And, and like, I'll never get upset if someone is referencing the Stooges, you know, like I'll always be like, cool, I'm vaguely interested in your band. I'll, I'll listen to it. If you say this is FFO, the Stooges. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like as people of our generation get older, I think there's something about aging out of like having to have, you know, 15 second songs or, or two minute songs. I think that people will probably start to get a little bit more into jamming and like longer songs and, and expressing the, you know, where the song should go in that way. So I would love to see kind of a, a return back to that. I often feel like I'm like, like a man without a country, I guess. Like, it's like, I'm not like, I, if I went into like a bar and they're playing Funhouse. I I don't know if it's the place for me, but it is. Yeah. It's 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 stylistically where I want to live. Yeah, it's just not like where my body will allow me to live. Sure, you know, and so it's sure. like I'm always kind of looking into that, but I can't I can't be like I guess I'm kind of I'm thinking about like the kind of garage punk, you know, kind of you know dude yeah. with bangs or rocker Shag dude. haircuts. Yeah, yeah and yeah. it's like it's like aesthetically it's where I want to be but I just know that I am not you know yeah, like do yeah. you ever fe- do you ever feel that like kind of like not being able to fit in or am I making you realize something about <laughs> yourself and- no I mean I feel like I there was an era where like I said there was an era where I had like the bell bottoms and, and always had like a beat up pair of converse and had long hair and then there was an era where I always had you know, the tightest pants that I could find and a leather jacket and a worn out Ramon shirt on. And then I think eventually I sort of figured out that it doesn't have to be so closely tied to that. Um, And so that's like, I just kind of matured into finding like, like an outfit style, I guess, that was just sort of neutral in all situations. Um, Because to me, it feels sort of 
like, I think that, you know, I, I respect it when I see people that just totally lean into that and get the shag haircut and have the orange tinted sunglasses on all the time, the Coke dealer sunglasses, and always have like a fringe piece of clothing on. Um, I think that's sick. And yeah, like you're saying, I would love to live like that, but I also would just feel like I'm cosplaying as like, you know, like, I feel like I would be cosplaying in the back of like bullet or something as like street person number 17 or something you know like I just feel like it would be an extra on a 70s movie and in the same way of like like I love country music but every single time that I'm at a thrift store and I put a Stetson on I'm like nope I can't do it like I can't it doesn't look like me I can't rock it or like cowboy boots I'm like man they're so cool but I can't do it it doesn't look like me I, so, our our friend uh Wes Hamilton um he said because I, I told him the same thing and yeah I'm basically just saying this because we've had this conversation so many times, like yeah. me, me and you, um, where it's like, damn, you know, but he told me like, you just, when you put on a cowboy hat, you just have to own it. Yeah. And that's and all he does. And it. he looks amazing in it. He looks so cool. And like, I believe it when I see him in a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and those cool sunglasses. Yeah. Like him and our other friend, Evan Stepp, that no one on the pod uh no I assume, <laughs> unless they're listening to these specific episodes local talk it's like they've told me like essentially the best thing to do about a cowboy hat is you want to you want to invest in a cowboy hat yeah like you want to wear the cowboy hat and not let it wear you like you want to mm. get it like perfectly sized and everything <laughs> like it's an investment or you will look like an idiot but it also like they said on top of that you just have to wear it and yeah. when one of your friends says, why the fuck are you wearing a cowboy hat? You just have to like, like I'm wearing cool. it. Yeah. So I, I think in the same regard of like being rockers, but I, I've never been able to do it either. Like, I just don't feel like it's like genuine to me. Like, you know, it's kind of like, I feel like in s- certain situations, it's like this like slightly sporty rocker guy is what i'm you know going yeah yeah, going for it's like where but it's like i want i've always wanted to be you know that rocker type because it's like where i am in my head or it's like some sort of like just thing beat into us from growing up in wilmington north carolina um (laughs) you know but i i can't i can't do it yeah no i feel that i think i think what i eventually realized was um there's that the one of the nation of ulysses zines was about like i'm i'm quoting it so i don't know that it's this is actually what it says but i recall it saying something like dress less punk act more punk and so i like took that to heart in in later high school and college of being like oh okay like it's chill to wear nikes and a hoodie and and you know tight jeans or whatever because that's what makes me that's what i like wearing because that's comfortable but I also know that I, you know, spend my free time listening to seven minute long Stooges songs and I don't have to wear like a Paisley shirt and have long greasy hair to prove that. I mean, the unless I guess like eventually if you just sort of own that many clothes, you just kind of become shag haircut guy. Yeah. But it, it, it's like, it kind of takes a lot to invest in that. Like, you yeah, know, vintage a clothes leather jacket. Yeah, it's expensive to get the cool band shirts that are like, <laughs> you know, they're like sometimes like 200 bucks. Yeah. You know, because uh, you don't, you don't want to, if you spend all the money on the shag haircut, which is also an expensive thing <laughs> to sometimes get, then you don't want to go to Walmart and get 
a new Stooges shirt, even yeah. if it, that exists there. So yeah. it's like total egg on your face if you. Yeah, if you have like the dark side of the moon shirt and the shag haircut, then people are like, yeah. oh, cool, you got into this like a year ago. What I'm really ultimately saying is if you either just got your stimulus or you're close to it, just keep in mind, and hopefully I get this episode out soon enough that people haven't spent their stimulus, um, take the whole $600. It's going to take all of it, potentially more, and invest in rocker guy haircuts because we could use more rocker guys. Yeah, we could use more haircut. of them. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's a dying breed. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. It depends think, on what bar you go to, but yeah. How much do you think I could get? Well, my hair is getting pretty long. How much do you think yeah. it would cost me to get that haircut? I don't know. See, I've always gotten haircuts that were like 20 bucks or less, but with long hair, because it's long hair, I think you get charged a little bit more. I think you're looking at like 45, 50 plus tape. You're probably looking at like 60, 65. Mm. That's that's quite a it's uh, quite an investment, you know. You could probably do it yourself too. I feel like there's a, a tutorial video on how to give yourself shag bangs. I'm gonna do it. I think you should. <laughs> um, I think that if if I had records in front of me, just where I could just pick one up, mm-hmm. I am more prone to pick up, uh, let's say, lust for life. Okay. Iggy solo record or the yeah. idiot over Funhouse. And yeah. what does that say about me? I mean that that makes sense for what I know about you. I think that you <laughs> I think that at, at your heart you love a good pop song and you love a good you love a good chorus, you love a good hook. That's what you excel at at writing. And I think you, you know, all of the songs that we talk about and, and would trade back and forth in the van were always, you always pick songs that have huge hooks, you know? So I think that you, that makes sense that you love the kind of more structured Bowie, Bowie at the helm, you know, kind of helping Iggy rein in a little bit of the, the wildness that made the Stooges the Stooges. I think that also that also weirdly starts pulling back in threads about the idea of like dressing it's like okay (laughs) so when I think about when I think about Bowie first I'll talk about that um recently uh I some recently a a future guest on the pod wanted to do a Bowie record okay uh but instead I picked a different record because I realized and this isn't saying that I dislike Bowie I'm not a huge Bowie guy. Okay. Like, where? Sorry. what are your feelings on Bowie? I love Bowie. I I think that I, you know, in the same time that I had that classic rock phase, I dug really heavy into Bowie because he is from that era. Um, but there's a certain period of Bowie that I stop. Like, I kind of stop with Bowie around mid-70s. Um, and there are stuff from the 80s that I enjoy and there's stuff from the 90s that I enjoy. And, and as he was putting out contemporary records, like I would listen to him and we'd be like, cool, this is good. But to me, and it has mostly to do, and I just watched a documentary about him, but it, for me, it has mostly to do with Mick Ronson. I think that Mick Ronson is truly the thing that made Bowie sparkle to me, at least. I just love his guitar playing. I think that he, and he's, you know, like composed a lot of those songs and stuff. I just think that he had a really good ear and could compliment Bowie's weirdness really well. 
And so as soon as Mick Ronson is out of the picture, I sort of get kind of shrug. Yeah, uh, with it, something of I think like the thing about Bowie is like I can't. I mean, there's tons of Bowie songs where I could make like a. I do this a lot with with bands where it's like I could easily make like a best of Bowie, and there's a lot of good shit. Mm-hmm, sure, but yeah. when I'm listening to like a just like a whole Bowie record, like mm-hmm. it's not. Sometimes it's not clicking. Like it just doesn't feel like it has. It definitely has the either style and like the ability. But sometimes I feel like it doesn't have the personality, which is like a weird thing to say about Bowie. Um, but I, I, I mean, it, it, we're talking about subjective taste. Like I can't yeah, yeah, really yeah. put my finger on it, but it's like, you know, I think Under Pressure is an amazing song. Mm-hmm. Like in where I start thinking about it in terms of like country, and I, I don't completely agree with this, but I know there are people that like feel like Chris Christopherson is best used by other people. Mm, sure and okay, they so don't technically like chris christopherson himself so I you're mean, saying that you enjoy the bowie involvement of other stuff maybe more than you enjoy his discography yes okay yeah. i think if you bring bowie in you're gonna get something good you're gonna get something amazing i mean he but was I, at the helm of raw power so like you know he was yeah he was there for it well i think mainly what i'm thinking about is like the idiot and yeah. lust for life it's like yeah Bowie is all over those records. Yeah, like, they're sure. undeniably like the for idiot sure. is straight up like a Bowie. It's record. Bowie it's worship like, record. Yeah, you just put. It's like I'd rather hear Iggy do do Bowie's than you know than Bowie. Yeah, well, it's like yeah. those tweets that are like, "This actor could do this, but this actor couldn't do this." It's to me like Iggy could do Bowie. Iggy could do Ziggy Stardust. That could easily be. You think he could though? That's where I don't know if he could. Oh, for sure, because he's just so strange and so eccentric and has the like storyteller ability. But if Bowie did Funhouse, I wouldn't believe it. I I agree with you. I don't think to me Bowie cannot do. I love I love Bowie. I think Bowie's great. But Iggy could do. Iggy could do changes. Iggy could do. Ziggy Stardust. He could do any of that '60s to '70s stuff. Maybe not the folk singer stuff so much, but once he got into like glam, he could do that stuff. But I don't think Bowie could do Stooges. I mean, there's like, like there's videos of Bowie do. covering "Want to Be Your Dog," and it's just it takes all the bite out of it. You know, like it's mm-hmm. there's none of the none of the edge is there. It's just really gentle. Yeah, I mean, like Iggy or I guess Bowie. Uh, Bowie always felt like somebody that was like definitely like more uptight, you know, and um, like didn't have like a lot of swing to him. Yeah. You know, but the ideas are there. It's like if Bowie wants to haunt me for what I'm saying, that's I understand. Like, I understand why Bowie should be heralded in the way that he is, even if more so like any Bowie worship is. And I think Bowie wasn't amazing even like uh have you ever seen the movie The Man Who Fell to Earth? Um no, I have not. I've Bowie seen, plays an alien. I've seen Labyrinth. Uh it's somewhat like uh it's like a I think it might be like 1980, but it's yeah. almost like if you could think about like a 1980 version of like Under the Skin. Mm, in okay. certain respects. And I mean Bowie. it goes more That's like sick. yeah, but it's Bowie as the alien. That's sick. Uh, so it's sick. Like Bowie as the alien is great to me yeah bowie yeah. as a personality is just for sure amazing like even, sure. I mean, even iggy has that too but it's like you're talking about like animalistic versus like 
something that was created. It's a little more refined. Yeah. 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 So do you actually, I, I, do you actually feel like when you're writing, you're referencing Stooges or do you feel like it's like a uh, pinpoint in your songwriting? Um, not necessarily in songwriting. I feel like it is one of those things that is, that I've spent so much time listening and studying and playing along to that I feel like it's just sort of one of those eternal things that's, that's always there, you know? And I feel like if I get stuck writing a song, you know, sometimes I'll go back to the, that principle of simplicity and being like, okay, if this, uh, you know, let's say if this bridge doesn't fit or isn't working, well, do we even need the bridge? Like what, what would it sound like if we just played it straight through and didn't have the bridge there? You know, would it, would it still work like that? Um, but for me, less, less about the songwriting and just more about like choices that were made and, and doing things that, that might not, you know, that, that especially in a modern production sense might be frowned upon or, you know, sort of that's, that's not how it's done. You know, when you get that reaction from the producer or the engineer or, you know, whoever's recording it, none of us can afford a producer. So <laughs> whoever's pressing play, um, that to me is sort of more of the influence and especially Funhouse is, is sort of more the influence of being like, okay, if you, if you can hear something in your head and you know, it'll sound cool doing it that way, just because it's not in the sound handbook doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. And that's sort of my, my take on Funhouse is like, it is, you know, is 1970 one of the most poignant songs written about growing up and, and maturity and entering, you know, leaving your, your 20s or whatever? Probably not, but the choices that they made to get the sound of 1970 or the choices that they made to get the sound of Fun House as a whole is sort of more the, the takeaway for me. Yeah, I, I think you're also making me realize like, why sometimes the Stooges don't aren't just like completely where I want to live all the time when you when you brought up the thing about like hooks mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah and I'm like yeah oh, that, sometimes that makes... they don't have hooks <laughs> yeah um, you know and do you find do you find are you a Beatles guy or a Stones guy this is this has been probably the hardest music question of my entire identity of music um I was raised on the Beatles. The Beatles were, were church to my parents. You know, that was, that was the Bible. Um, and the Stones were because of when my parents, especially my dad, when he was introduced to the Beatles, the Stones were always sort of like off limits to him as a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So then that would kind of got projected onto me and was like, yeah, they're the bad boys, which of course, when you're, 12 or 13 you're like okay yeah I want to listen to the stones so then I got really heavy into the stones and you know still to this day obviously with the amount of times that I tweet about Keith Richards obviously I still love the stones so I think that I would be a stones person if, you I, think had, if stones? I had a, to pick if someone put a gun to my head and said stones or Beatles you can only listen to one for the rest of your life I think I'd be a stones person if they if they told me that they're like 
gone to and i just say rolling stones like they don't even have the gun out and i say rolling stones uh, <laughs> but i do feel like it's like i don't know where i'll be in like 10 years from now because yeah. then the next question was uh do you think a stones person would be more prone to like uh the stooges for sure for sure i mean if you look at like you know sticky fingers or exile if you look at the, that era of stones it's such an easy jump to be like okay i love can't you hear me knocking okay well that's got a four minute guitar solo as the outro to that song here my friend is dirt and then you're like oh this is like the stooges i mean this is like the stones but even gnarlier and even wilder sounding so i think it's an easy jump to be a stones person to being like yeah i love the stooges i think like if you take like anything pretty out of that especially that era of the stones like exile uh specifically mm -hmm. if you just kind of send everybody home and you just have the basic back end of the band and they are like very drunk it's been a long weekend mm -hmm. you have the stooges <laughs> for sure yeah like it's it's i don't know that keith richards is any better of a guitar player than, than ron ashton is yeah and that's a compliment to both of them i love both of them and are incredibly influenced by both of them but yeah i don't you know ron ashton carries just about as much weight as keith richards does um and do you think that well i guess actually before i ask the next question i'll have a tangent question do you think anyone under the age 25 gives a shit about anything that we're talking about right now i don't know i really hope so i would hope you know that like a, a younger generation gets into to stooges and stones and, and deep cuts of each but i don't know sometimes i i you know i'm going for like weeks without listening to a record that wasn't made before or you know like after 1974 or something and i'll be like shit i've got to listen to something from the 2000s like right, i have let, to listen let's to get them let's get them back let's get them back <laughs> are you a chelsea grand guy or a day to remember guy I've never listened to either of those I, don't, <laughs> I feel like i'm like the same i'm the same as you and it's like it's like but i also feel like it's like i think it would be worse if i sort of acted like i knew some of the things yeah. like yeah. i wish i wish sometimes I, I don't even know if i really wish i did um but it's it's like i know comfortably who i am and i think it would be weirder if i were like the steve buscemi meme, meme. yeah you know, yeah, like, yeah yeah i hey need I, it's like, I need to be more honest about how often i listen to dylan with the dead yeah. more than like you know and that's not even yeah. like our that's easily not our generation <laughs> oh for sure it's you definitely know? not our generation yeah uh yeah, yeah we, we would have to be more you know honest about how much we listen to like tenement or the ergs or something for it to be our generation yeah and that's even so like dated at this point yeah you know kids are i feel like kids kids, don't and, listen this to is, kids and this is we're, we're like 97 years old even saying yeah, we're kids we, we when i'm referring to early boomer zone. yeah um but they're probably they're kind of cool looking back is still like you know Algernon Cadwallader or something yeah yeah, yeah you know? for sure um and that's that's fine I know how time works um, right but you know it's like but to me it's like those are people that are essentially you know like they were our contemporaries yeah yeah sure. one or one or two degrees respect. removed from being peers with some of these people you know? yeah and um 
what was the other what was the other question all right so are you a who person or a kinks person who person it, that that choice has aged way poorer by standing up for the who and i won't <laughs> and i won't apologize you know i won't stand up for them anymore and i and i won't like make excuses for for roger daltrey's mouth at this but you, point you won't get fooled again I won't be fooled again. I've been fooled several times by that band, but I won't be fooled again. But um, I, I, but to me, like the first that first run of like five or six Who records is mm. untouchable for for that sound. Like it's just. Mm. You say that, but I know that we have spent a lot of time in the van listening to uh, Eminence Front. <laughs> Eminence Front. Uh, yeah, that's that's not my favorite era. Not not my Who. But I, I do like so. that song. I, I had never really listened to that song until I started hanging out with you. And then I realized how good that song and how bad the rest of that record the is. The rest of the record's not good. Uh, but I think the more that I like spend time with the Kinks, and the Kinks are another band that I could like do the same thing we're talking about the Stooges for, is like, I don't know why that wasn't handed to me more often mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like the more i dig into the kinks i'm like why aren't they spoken about in the same way sure yeah oh they're a great band yeah you know it's like the more i discover them eventually one day it will be probably become the kinks over the who yeah but from what i know now you know I, I you know i would i think we've even done the game of uh it's like when you start getting into the like I don't think I could do the Who versus Rolling Stones. I feel like Rolling Stones still eat win easily. Yeah, 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 definitely. But maybe we'll, we'll get off a of Boomer Zone. Um, yeah, we're going to get back to what John Russell is doing in 2021. So um, 2021, baby. So you recorded a full length record with your band <laughs> Knowing. Do you have more you can say about that? At, at this um, yes, uh, some of it is confidential, but. I'll say what I can. Um, we recorded a full length record um, and it's, yeah, it's really rocking. Uh, it's, it's funny because it is actually relevant to Funhouse because I um, am still, in terms of how long I've been playing other instruments, I'm still fairly new to guitar, um, at least it being like my main thing. Um, and so when we were getting ready for this record, uh, I, wanted to just kind of sharpen my teeth a little bit as far as soloing goes. Um, and there's some really great, what seemed to be improvised solos on Funhouse. So for like months leading up to recording, I would play along to Funhouse and purposely not learn any tabs or anything, but just figure out scales that he was playing in and like not, you know, I would never learn like any licks that he was actually playing, but just figure out where he was and try and compliment that you know kind of like how he does on a couple songs where there's double track solos and he's not playing the same thing at all but it's just two wild crazy fuzzwah solos i would kind of do that and and just play along with him and like weave with him like that um on the record and i think that that hopefully shows through on on the gnawing record because i kind of went in there freshly trained from running Funhouse back and forth like six times each day. Uh, I think it does show that you did that. Wonderful. From listening to the record. I'm glad that it shows through. The advanced copy. The advanced uh, copy, right. The private. Yeah, that doesn't exist. I did not hear that, <laughs> Josh Higgins. Uh, 
So that will be coming out at some, we'll say the summer. Yeah, we don't have a date for it yet, um, but summer, fall, we're, we're trying to sort of roll the dice and hopefully put it out as close to being able to safely and responsibly play some sort of live show again. Um, Cause we put the seven inch out in April, which was a month into the pandemic, which was, you know, that was when everything was just full shutdown. Um, so we learned from that experience and don't really want to put another record out in lockdown and shutdown. So we're, we're trying to kind of hold off to make a concrete date until we see what the, uh, what the vaccination process starts to kind of look like. You, you technically put two records out during lockdown. Uh, oh yes <laughs> so we, so we can both well you Spoke know it twice yeah so the all yeah. right lp that came out that you played drums on um yeah. the a band that we used to play in together for many years, many years. um definitely you left on really bad terms <laughs> it was not amicable and this is the point where um we'll we're gonna have an intervention yeah right now and talk about that <laughs> okay <laughs> But uh, no, it's it's great. I'm really excited to see what Nine is going to do in 2021. Um, should we shift at this point to be two white guys talking about politics on the pod? Mm, mm, I don't know if that needs to happen. Mm. But all right, know. we'll talk about knowing more. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> all right, so we will. We said it will come out on Refresh Records. And yep. none of us know what will happen this year, but I too hope that shows will start again. And I can't wait till either of our bands. Yeah, I guess this won't really happen for you, but I know when I inevitably put out new music in whatever band, mm-hmm. uh, some journalists will ask me about why was there a break in between putting out records. <laughs> I can't wait for those journalistic questions for like bands that have been like around for a while yeah yeah, yeah. Like, what why is this break and you're like why why was like that that question shouldn't be allowed post pandemic it's yeah, like every band kind of yeah every band will have that gap you know right. based on yeah you know, so yeah it's it's really interesting to see um and this is not a knock on on either way but it's really interesting to see what bands have just totally stopped with with social media presence during the pandemic which is totally understandable like you know that's i wish that i wasn't addicted to twitter and could do that um and then it's interesting to see what bands have just tweeted through it or posted through it you know and just have like adapted and started doing weekly instagram lives or something like that or you know have just tweeted like it's you know there is there were people that were doing GoFundMes for for album costs in like May of last year. And I was like, whoa, like we're still pretty early into this thing. Like, yeah. I don't know if you should do that yet. So it's it's been interesting to see who has, you know, sort of taken, taken time away from music and who hasn't. And uh, do you think, I guess the last question I'll ask you, uh, when shows start, and you inevitably play um, a show in Charlotte, do you think your van will make it to Charlotte? Oh, for sure. I just put a new fuel pump in that thing. 
I drove it around all weekend. It's flawless. It drives better than my daily driver does. All right. So uh, people that are listening to this episode, um, what we'll do is we'll we'll update this discussion on our Patreon, where we'll uh, we'll be talking. Of, we'll do a, a separate episode with John that we'll 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 see the progress of the van so maybe an yeah. ongoing series yeah we can do uh, a follow-up on the van for sure yeah we'll do a follow-up on on the van so that's patreon.com slash spinning out pod so keep an eye out for uh van <laughs> chat with john russell in the future <laughs> I would uh, love that. do you have anything else to add um no i mean peace and love and rock and roll and donate to your mutual aid in your area and yeah that's it Listen and where can people find you online? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Bandcamp and Spotify and Apple Music. And we have a hilarious um, fingerboarding video on YouTube. Um, we're everywhere. Multi Multimedia uh, corporation. All right. Well, John, I appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to me. And I will probably keep talking to you off of this podcast <laughs> like I do every single day. Sounds but. great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate everything you do. Hello there. We're Secret Jocks Podcast. Three musicians who became even better friends through the love of NBA basketball. Catch us every Tuesday and Friday recapping the past week of NBA hoops and talking with other artists who share the same passion for the game. From the tour van to the hardwood. Secret Jocks Podcast. Welcome back. Great chat with John. So check out Nine and stay tuned for their LP this year on Refresh Records. Not sure when, but maybe this summer. I don't know. Okay, next week on the pod, we have Sammy Lanzetta, and we're talking about Bell and Sebastian's first album, Tiger Milk. Check that out, and also check out Sammy Lanzetta's 2019 album, Ceiling Mirror, on 6131 Records. Alright, before I let you go, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash spinningoutpod, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and honestly, just tell a friend about the pod. Tell all your friends. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. On that note, hit the theme.